Hey everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Podcast. Episode 54. I'm Chris Webster, and on today's show, I'm talking about the new TV series called Legends of the Lost with Megan Fox. Let's dig a little deeper. All right, welcome back to the Archaeology Show. I'm Chris Webster, and I'm flying solo today because I am on vacation in North Carolina, and I'm actually in a closet in a basement because that's how you podcast when you are on vacation and don't have a studio. So you might hear some sounds. Apologies for that, but I think I've probably managed to uh, EQ most of this stuff out. So anyway, one of the advantages of going on vacation is I get to watch uh, TV shows, an advantage if you want to call it that way, but I get to watch TV shows that I may not otherwise would have watched. The reason is I don't have cable. And some of these don't come out on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, things like that until uh, way later. So one of those shows that's been in the news a lot, which is why I wanted to talk about it, especially for this audience because you might be aware of it, is the new show on the Travel Channel called Legends of the Lost. And it's by actress Megan Fox. Now she's essentially famous for... Well, being attractive is <laughs> one of the things she's made all the she's made all the big lists about uh, her IMDb profile shows how she's you know listed as the number hottest woman of this year and the fifteenth hottest woman of this year and blah blah blah. Um, but she's uh, you know so that's one thing I guess she's known for. And also uh, one of the things that put her on the map from an acting standpoint is uh, the first two Transformer movies. She was the love interest in those. So. If you saw the Transformers, then you know who I'm talking about. Uh, if you like the show New Girl, apparently she was on like 15 episodes of that. I think that was after we stopped watching it. But anyway, she's had a bunch of small roles since then. She kind of 
ghosted a little bit on acting uh, for the last few years. She was focusing on her children, and I guess that's a that's definitely a credit to her. If she had the money and and didn't need to worry about anything, then uh, you know, kudos to her for deciding to take care of her family because she had the means to do so. So good good on her for that. I've also seen a few articles about uh, her interest in archaeology. She's always apparently had an interest in history and archaeology and really uh, kind of alternative theories of the past as well. And she had an idea for doing a show like this. And I'm not sure how it developed, but she approached probably various people and Travel Channel picked it up. Um, But she is listed as the creator, the writer, and the producer for this show. It's got a number of producers, but she's listed as the the first producer. So uh, the writing is definitely, well... I don't know. I'm almost going to say just watch the show <laughs> if you want to. Let's let's talk about the show. Uh, let's talk about the show first. So Legends of the Lost, it's a four-episode series. Uh, it's finally all played out. I think it was designed to play throughout the month of December. And um, we set up the DVR here at my sister-in-law's house in North Carolina. And I just finished watching the episodes today. It's the day after Christmas as I'm recording this. So I'm just going to go through the four episodes and, you know, with the caveat that I'm not an expert uh, in some of these areas. I mean, some of them I have um, deeper knowledge than others, but I'm not an expert. I'm just really, I'm watching these how I would expect you to watch these or anybody is, and that's with a critical eye. You know, look at what somebody is telling you and say, using your critical thinking skills, is this accurate? Does this make any sense? Uh, I guess you can't really talk about accuracy if you don't know about the subject, but you can say, does that sound right? And then maybe do your own research. But uh, that's how you do, uh, that's how you exercise your critical thinking skills. So the first episode was about the Vikings. And the real thesis behind the episode was that women were warriors alongside the Vikings. And one thing you'll notice when you watch this throughout is that she's really she she Megan Fox thinks that she's I guess bucking the the uh, academic system and and going against the mainstream and saying uh, you know that that people uh, in the scientific community have been putting forth these theories and they don't really have the full story or they're not telling us the full story. There's a real conspiracy theorist uh, bent to to everything that she's saying, which is really my first issue with it. She's going in skeptical, which is good but then clouding your judgment of the facts by instantly being uh, a little too skeptical and, and just not skeptical in the right way. You know what I mean? So anyway, the first episode about the Vikings, um, were women warriors and, you know, without even doing any research, I'd have to say probably yes. I mean, we, nothing is absolutes, but when we look at history, we can generally say that these people did this thing and these people did this thing, but you know, were there outliers? Were they commonalities? You know that we don't know about um, anything that was common in the historical record. Probably hasn't been suppressed. So that's one thing you can look at. It probably hasn't been suppressed, um, only because it would be really hard to do so. The evidence would be overwhelming. So anyway, um, she does talk to some people that that bring forth evidence that women. Uh, fought alongside men in Viking times, um, or or were even trainers in some cases. And um, there's some evidence that uh, there's a, a mass burial of Viking graves in England where um, men and women were found together, suggesting that they were battling alongside. Um, but uh, there's also one that was found with, I guess, some artifacts that indicate like a scale or like weights, like a merchant would carry. 
and it's the terminology she uses in the show that I have a lot of problem with because she used that one piece of evidence to say that women were merchants and that they were um, basically controlling international finance in the Viking Age. <laughs> that's a little that's a little much. That's a little much. Um, she does that throughout the show. She takes a small fact and blows it completely out of proportion. The one thing that I always try to look at as an archaeologist is is that when I find an artifact is that I'm probably looking at an average example of that artifact. I'm probably looking at something that is commonplace in history because the thought of the 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 likelihood of me finding something unique in the archaeological record is incredibly unlikely because unique things are by nature unique and scarce and there's not very many of them. So, um, you know, we have to look at most of the things we find and say, well, this was probably common unless we're on some sort of crazy site that is uncommon in itself, then the things on that might be uncommon as well, but not necessarily. So, um, you know, looking at some of these things, we have to assume that, when we find that stuff that we're finding common examples. So, um, I don't know, finding a woman buried with things that a merchant would have, uh, could mean any number of things. It could mean that she was a merchant herself. It could mean that she assisted, uh, another merchant. It could mean a number of things, but does it mean the merchants are common in the archeological record for the Vikings? Who knows? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure that it, it really changes the way we overall think about the Vikings, but, who knows? Another thing that she does throughout this entire series is she makes it sound like she's going on this evidentiary quest and that she is uncovering this evidence, but really she's talking to other experts and using the information that they have researched and they have pulled together and then just sort of honestly passing it off as her own, as as though she had put all these things together and each one of these people had given her a piece of the puzzle and she's come up with this grand theory. So that's... Not really how you do science. Moving on to episode two, this one's all about Stonehenge. And the basic thesis behind this is that what was the purpose of Stonehenge? And did the uh, did the stones themselves hold some sort of, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, supernatural power? You know, did they themselves have some sort of power that people were going there for? I'm not sure where she got this, uh, where she got this idea, uh, but... This is where this is what she was basically asking about when she would talk to um, local people. She was had this guy running around with her who was listed as a local expert. I'm not really sure what his qualifications are, but she did go talk to um, you know actual experts in certain things. And she also talked to Graham Hancock, who has been widely known as somebody purporting uh, alternative theories, like um, you know ancient aliens type theories and things like that. So his his opinions on this subject are, are certainly suspect. He's all about the lost society, you know, like somebody back in the day had this high technology and was wiped off the planet by, you know, meteor, ice age, whatever. <laughs> like that's, that's what his thing is. I'm not saying that's not possible, but it's just not very likely. So it's so a little bit of background about Stonehenge is it was built over the course of something like a thousand years or more. And there's different there's different types of stones there. There's the big stones in the middle that are kind of a horseshoe shape that stand up. I don't know the terms for all these things. Um, there's a ring around the outside, but there's also a ring around the inside. And those are the blue stones, the kind of shorter ones. And those came from an area over in Wales. And apparently the blue stones have this quality that when you hit them with another rock, they have this tonal quality to them. And they went out to the place where the blue stones were actually quarried 
which is actually pretty cool. And uh, and we recorded this sound of hitting him. And the theory was, uh, and I'll get to why in a second, but the theory was possibly that Stonehenge was like a healing place. Like they would go there and have these ceremonies, or she called it an ancient hospital. I think that's a little stretch, but you know, a place of healing is where we were going for. And the reason for that is there's a lot of other monumental architecture and burials and things like that in that area in England, which I think it's pretty much all over England, but in this area is where they're focusing. And there were things like the Amesbury Archer, they call him, because he was found with, uh, he was found with a lot of, you know, projectile point arrowhead type stuff. And uh, analysis, isotope analysis, I think, showed that he was from Switzerland and that he also congenitally was like missing a patella. Like he was born without a patella, so he had some real bone issues going on. So the fact that he walked from Switzerland to southern England to go to uh, Stonehenge was a statement on the healing powers of Stonehenge because they were saying by then people in the rest of Europe would have known about Stonehenge because it was such a big deal. Again, there's no proof to that, but they're saying it's likely that that would have happened and he would have heard about the healing powers and tried to walk there. Apparently it didn't work because he was buried there. <laughs> so I mean, they, they forgot to point that out. He was actually buried like two miles from Stonehenge. So, you know, um, and then there was this burial with three children. Again, healing powers, really? They're buried there. Uh, I'm not sure how that fits with the thesis. Like they're, they died when they got there, right? That's what it looks like to me. So anyway, she did this somewhat dubious thing was they, they recorded these, uh, these bluestone, you know, hammer hits, the sounds. And then she went to this, uh, I'm not sure what he was, a neurologist or some sort of auditory, uh, guy. And he put basically, uh, a sensor on her head, a sensor net on her head and let her listen to these bluestone sounds. I think it was for two minutes and then took a couple days to analyze the results and showed that it had an increase in alpha wave activity when in her brain when she was listening to the blue stones. And that has been linked to, you know, healing, uh, you know, your body healing itself and the brain's doing these kinds of things. Again, I'm not a neurologist, so I don't really understand the, the, the theory behind it, but pretty much sealed her theory that Stonehenge was then a uh, healing place. Now, of course, if you're a critical thinker, and a skeptic, you know that correlation does not necessarily equal causation, which means just because when I hit something on the bluestones doesn't mean that it was created for that specific purpose when I make this tone. I mean, maybe it was. Who knows? Maybe that was part of it, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that without further evidence. For example, you can go over to an interstate underpass right now and bang on the concrete um, or the rebar down there with a hammer, and it's also going to make a tone. But does that mean interstates were built for healing powers? I don't really think so. So, um, however, in a thousand years, when our interstates, when we're all gone, we're on another planet, somebody comes back here and they somebody decides to do that because they read a book somewhere, um, they might think that these structures, that they have no concept of a vehicle or really understood what they were for, might have been constructed for healing powers, which would be totally hilarious. So the idea that Stonehenge is a healing place was, of course, confirmed by her research. And that, again, is one of the issues I have with this show, is it's not setting out to necessarily postulate a, a, a hypothesis and say, this is what I think, and then prove that. Um, it's, it's really, she's really only finding evidence that supports this and only, find, and only talking to people that supports her theories, right? Anybody can do that. I mean, you can have some crackpot theory. I'm not saying her theories are even crackpot, but you can have some crackpot theory and 
actually find the people that will support you. <laughs> Usually that's called family or your support group, like whatever you think. Just go on Facebook, you know. You probably agree with most of the people on your friends list because you curated your own friends list. So, does that mean you're right? Nah, not necessarily, you know. I mean, it's like politics, you know. You surround yourself with Democrats or surround yourself with Republicans and you're going to find that, oh, look, I'm right all the time. No, you're not right all the time. You're just surrounding with people. You're surrounding yourself with people that agree with you. So, that's not necessarily the same thing. And that that is what any show, not just this show, but that's what any show does wrong is they put forth a theory and then since they have a limited time frame, they only show you evidence that supports that theory and it makes you think, oh, look, there's no other evidence. You know, this this must be true because these experts say it's so. Um, and there's just, there's alternatives out there and which is all I'm putting out. There's alternatives out there and you have to be skeptical and you have to evaluate for yourself based on the available evidence what's actually out there and what's possible. So, all right, we're going to take a break real quick and we'll come back and talk about the third and fourth episodes of Megan Fox's Legends of the Lost, uh, debuting on the History Channel, December 2018. Back in a minute. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back to The Archaeology Show, episode 54 where we talk about Megan Fox's new show, Legends of the Lost, that debuted on the History Channel here December 2018. If you check it out, do so. Um, I actually think there's some, you know, it's, it's still a show about archaeology and history, so there is some good information in there. It's entertaining. Um, but we're looking at this with a critical eye as archaeologists trying to say what's right and what's wrong and how should we be looking at these things. So the third episode is called, uh, is all about America's Lost Civilization. And the basic thesis here is that we were taught that, and I'll get to that in a second, <laughs> but that we were taught that people came to this continent around 13,000 years ago, and, and generally that's thought of as the Clovis people because of certain projectile points found in Clovis, New Mexico, um, that date back to that time frame. Um, but Clovis points have been found all over North America, so um, you know there's a bit of a range there. But that... People came across the Bering Land Strait, uh, the Bering Land Bridge, when the Ice Age covered it with ice, right, and created this bridge between Asia and uh, North America. So they came across that, and then populated all of North America and presumably South America. That's the that's been the prevailing theory for quite some time. Um, so what Megan Fox does is she says. Now, she's, I think, in her 30s, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and she's like, oh, I was taught in school this, this, and this, and everything we were taught was wrong. I'm like, no, not everything you taught was wrong. Everything you were taught was 20 plus years ago, you know, 25 years ago. And I hope to God archaeologists have learned something new in that amount of time. So yes, lots of things you were probably taught, not just about archaeology, 
are probably incorrect or inaccurate from when you were a child, right? Because science progresses and moves on and you've got to read the new theories. You've got to read the new books. You've got to, you know, figure out what's going on out there. So yes, you're right. Everything you were taught as a child, not everything, but a lot of things are probably wrong or have been updated. And that's good. That's called science. Look into it. So, but what she's talking about here is she first goes to uh, Meadowcroft Rock Shelter and talks to Jim out of Azio, which is surprising in amongst itself. Um, I, I'm really glad that she got him on there. But anyway, Meadowcroft has stuff that dates back, you know, well before 13,000 years. And I think it goes back to uh, 16,000 or even more. And, you know, they've got evidence of fire pits and things like that, which is awesome. I mean, the older, the farther you go back, the less likely things are to be preserved very well. So that's why the the archaeological record gets a little more sparse. Also, there were fewer people typically the farther you go back. You know, populations increase through time. So the farther you go back, you're looking, you're still looking for an even smaller needle and an even bigger haystack. And it's just, it's really tough. Um, so, but I think most archaeologists are coming to the realization that uh, there must have been other ways that people got here than the, just the Bering Land Bridge. We do have evidence that people came across that way, but that can't be the only way. And it's just probably evidence for earlier stuff. So Meadowcroft is one of those things that starts pointing to that earlier history. And, and I've always said that if you're looking at a fire pit in a cave that dates to 16,000 years ago, they didn't teleport over there using a transporter beam from Star Trek. <laughs> they were probably here for quite some time before they got to that point, right? So they, you know, they found the cave. This is in Pennsylvania. They got here from somewhere and made it to Pennsylvania. It could have been a few hundred years. So when you look at 16,000 year date, you might even be looking at a 17,000 plus arrival or something like that, or at least 16,500. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's got to be some time. Then she went to, uh, so next she went to uh, Naya, who is a, supposed to be one of the oldest, if not the oldest, human remains found in North America. It's found in the Yucatan Peninsula, one of the cenotes, and cenotes are like caves underwater. And this particular one, they found uh, her remains, and she would have been, um, she was about five feet tall, 100, 105 pounds. Um, looks like she bore a child by looking at her hips, and uh, and it looks like she was about 15 to 16 years old when she died. Um, but she was found in association with a bunch of uh, you know, like Pleistocene megafauna and other things. So, uh, of that time period, which is pretty cool. Um, but that again, proves that her society, her people must've been there for quite some time. And she dates to 13,000 years. She didn't come across the Bering land bridge the week before she died, you know, neither did her family. So they'd been there for a long time and possibly got there by another means even, you know, I mean, who knows? Um, one of the other cool things that she did talk about, which has really surprised me, was uh, talking about um, the 130,000-year-old possible human site in San Diego. Now, on this show, and I'll link to this in the show notes, we talked to the primary researcher that was on that project back in, the, I think, the 90s or something when they actually did this road excavation project. And then we talked to him about a year and a half ago on this show when he uh, when he was getting some more publications are coming out. And they're talking about 130,000 year old humans in San Diego. Now that's pushing all the boundaries back, pushing back all the barriers and just knocking everything out of whack. And their evidence is they've got these big bones from mastodons and it looks like they've been shattered and it looks like they have the stones that shattered them sitting right there and they've taken these stones or scans of the stones 
and sent them off to researchers around the world that deal with um, really like Paleolithic type stuff. And they said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And they didn't tell them where it was from. They didn't tell them anything about it. They just said, analyze this stone. And was it was it modified by humans or was it used by humans? And experts time and time again said, yes, that looks like it. Where'd you find these? They were expecting, you know, France or Africa. <laughs> but he said San Diego, you know, and they about, you know, lost their lost their crap over it. And they're like, what are you talking about? So that's pretty good evidence. Again, we would need some more evidence. We need more sites. Um, but his claim was this this person's claim was that they you know people aren't digging deep enough like we get below a few sterile layers and we're not and we stop and we're not getting down deep enough to where these things are which may actually be true um i i kind of took that on and said yeah you're you're possibly right you know we aren't digging deep enough to find some of these older things because we've had these assumptions that thirteen thousand years was basically it so once we get to that level there's no need to go any farther because we won't find any humanity but i think on most sites we should start we should start dig, digging random um, deeper units and, and just go down as far as we can. Set somebody to that task and just have them dig until the project's over, you know, or, or until they hit bedrock, one of the two, and, and just say, hey, you know, see how far you can get and let's see what's down there. Uh, one of the bigger um, things that they were talking about, which is actually a problem here, um, especially in this country, is there's a lot of coastal sites that are underwater. A lot of stuff we don't know that date back to when the Ice Age was actually in full swing, uh, which would have been, you know, 13, 16,000 years ago. Uh, a lot of those sites, because when the when the ice caps and the, and the ice plates were being created, like the big Wisconsin plate over the United, North America and a few others, when those were forming and they were a mile thick ice, um, that sucked up the oceans into that ice and really reduced the sea levels, which meant all the coastal lands that were below sea level now uh, were exposed and they were just nice places to hang out um, by the water like we do now. So a lot of those older sites are actually underwater. And uh, Megan Fox went out to the Catalina Islands, um, I think that's what they're called, or Catalina Island is an island off the coast of uh, Southern California. But the, I think they do call them a Channel Islands, actually. They, she went out there because those would have been hills, basically, on the landscape. And they were looking between there and the mainland to um, talk about, uh, to, to, to try to find submerged sites. And there was a couple of researchers, um, some really, uh, it's really awesome women, actually, looking for, um, looking for these submerged sites. So that's pretty valid. Uh, people are doing that. And people are trying to look at coastal sites now before they become submerged. So it's definitely something that's on our mind. Uh, one of the more wacky theories that came out of this episode was giants. <laughs> that's no other way to say it. There's been talk of giants for a long time. Uh, you, you talk about, I don't know, people, people want to think that there's a lost race of beings. I, they don't talk about where they came from or how they got here, but um, that the, there were giants, people, you know, seven, eight feet tall and more, you know, seven to 10 feet tall, actually, and, and higher. And that they interacted with Native Americans. Um, there's no, again, there's no explanation for it. There's no solid, solid proof for it, which you'd think we'd have that. Um, people think that we have it, but it, uh, there's other explanations. So, um, but one of the things that really floored me and I had to look up and see if anything else had been published on this. But uh, in a cave in Georgia, and not Georgia, United States, but Georgia, Russia, um, you know, that area over there, not Russia, but, you know, talking about Eastern Europe, 
um, they found uh, these, I think it was a finger bone first, and then they found teeth eventually later. And these proved to be a new, like, you know, subspecies of human. And they called them Denisovans because they were from Denisovan Cave and uh, or Denisova Cave or something like that. Anyway, the teeth were a little big. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. The teeth were big, but these people are taking it to mean that the teeth were the teeth of giants. And where this ties into North America is that we're finding that the Denisovans um, intermingled with Neanderthals, and Neanderthals we know intermingled with humans. So. Neanderthals ended up with Denisovan DNA, and humans ended up with Denisovan DNA, and now there's people. When you do these DNA searches, um, analysis in this country, are finding that people here, including Native Americans, have Denisovan DNA. So they're saying that, um, you know, there was they they made it over here somehow, which is the theory, and that they were giants because of the big teeth, and that they ripped the heads off of warriors and drank their blood. So I don't know where that comes from. Um, another thing that, you know, one of the proofs she had towards this was a couple of Native Americans that were talking about this. And they first started by saying their oral traditions are basically like reading a book because they said, when we tell our oral tradition stories, they're, they're told word for word, which means if you hear it now, it's the same story that was told a thousand years ago. If it's that old, it's a, it's identical. And I'm like, Hmm, is it though? Because details do change as people get older. One tiny detail could change here, but when you tell it 700 generations down the line, that tiny detail is now 700 tiny details, right? And they're all different. And the, the, the basics of the story might be the same, but the details are going to be different. And I mean, it's it's pretty common that that happens in oral traditions. So I'm not sure how uh, Native Americans could be so good at it, where the rest of the world is so bad at it. But that's just one point at which I'm a little skeptical, is that these traditions... And I'm saying that because they have these oral traditions that mention, um, that mention giants and things like that, but they're not the only ones. There's been giants throughout history, you know, talked about in other societies. It's just a, you know, fantastical kind of thing. So... That's pretty much it for episode three. Um, she, again, one of the things I hate that she does is she asks kind of with a smile when somebody says something crazy. So she's like, so how was this received by the scientific community? And just knowing the answer she's going to get. And it's just like, this is not science and you're not an archaeologist. So stop talking. All right. So moving on to the fourth and final episode. This was about the Trojan War and not necessarily the Trojan war itself, um, but whether or not it actually existed, you know, was it, was it a thing? Um, you know, there's a lot of people trying to find Troy and a lot of people who think they have found Troy. And, uh, but the problem with Troy and the Trojan war is that they were only mentioned once by Homer in the Iliad, 400 years after the war was supposed to happen. (laughs) So, um, but there are people that think that it's actually based on historical fact because, some of the basics are in that time frame um, when the Trojan War was coming to an end. Um, after uh, uh, you know, after it finished, then the whole region was basically plunged into these dark ages, and the tr- history and nobody was writing anything down. And history was lost and and all that. And somehow the story persisted. Homer heard about it and wrote it down in, as part of the Iliad. And uh, first off, that seems unlikely. Uh, I mean, maybe that's true, but you'd think somebody else would have written something down. Maybe we just haven't found it yet. But anyway, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he made the entire thing up. I mean, the Iliad is a work of fiction. So 
why would that one thing in there be true? Why would we latch onto that? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he was a good storyteller. Let's just leave it at that. But if Troy were real, then let's go find it. I'm not sure again why she latched onto this. The other stuff seemed to be, you know, a little ancient alieny, but. Troy's not, you know, Troy's either real or it's not real. There's no theories that giants or, um, well, there's gods involved, but giants or aliens had anything to do with it. So I'm not really sure what the big deal was with this one. Um, but anyway, anyway, she did do some, uh, there were some cool things. I thought this was probably one of the better episodes just because there wasn't any crazy theories. Like, like she just went to a bunch of places and talked to people that are studying this. And uh, she stood in the place that Homer uh, wrote about, and it really matches up exactly, which again is legit, right? Like if Homer lived in that area, or at least was a good writer and went to these areas, he would have wrote what he he would have described what he wrote, and and the landscape has not changed since he wrote it. So it only makes sense that you'd be able to follow along. I mean, how many people have read the Harry Potter books and then gone to platform nine and three quarters? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, that doesn't mean Harry Potter's real. The the castle they use in Hogwarts is an actual castle. But that doesn't mean magic is there. So, you know, looking at these things a thousand years later and saying, well, could it have been real because we can actually find these things? That doesn't mean it's real. That just means he's a really good writer. So um, whether or not Troy existed, whether or not the Trojan War actually happened, I'm not going to speculate on. That's for these researchers to find out. I think they're on the way to finding out that there was something akin to the Trojan War that Homer did write about and that there was a Troy that Homer did write about. And we've lost lots of cities and lots of civilizations and things have changed names lots of times. So it's not a surprise that the existence of Troy has been lost to history um, and we need to piece it out and find it. But trying to match up what we think is Troy with what's written in a work of fiction... (sighs) Is there, is there validity in that? I don't know. I really don't. So, okay. Well, that is it for the episode recap. We're going to take one more short break, and when we come back, we will talk about some of the uh, some of the real issues with these types of shows, Megan Fox, and uh, and how we can kind of get around all this. Back in a second. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to the final segment of episode 54 of the Archaeology Show. Megan Fox teaches us about archaeology. <laughs> so we're talking about Megan Fox's new show, Legends of the Lost, uh, on the Travel Channel, and debuted in 2018, December 2018, and as a four-episode series. I don't know if she's planning on doing more. I haven't seen anything, but let's uh, let's talk about... We talked about the episodes. Now let's talk about Megan Fox, and we'll talk about the show. So what first, what's wrong with Megan Fox doing this? On the surface of it, nothing, really. I, I'm, I'm impressed that she has this, this drive and passion for archaeology. Um, that's awesome. I think a lot of people have this passion for history, but they don't do anything about it. And I'm glad that she did something about it. You know, She has the money, she has the fame, and she was able to put together a show like this. If I could put, put together 
a travel channel show about archaeology and people would watch it, I would do it in a heartbeat, right? Because I love talking about this stuff. Obviously, you're listening to me talk about it now. But what's wrong with her doing this? Well, what's wrong with her doing this is she doesn't have a scientific, academic, critical thinking background in order to really present the information in a critical way and to present and to talk to people in that sort of scientific way. And and that's important because you influence the people that are watching this by your actions and your attitude. And when she's got that smug look on her face and nodding and smiling when she says, you know, oh, everybody's hates your theory or women did this or whatever she's saying, that just makes you not along right along with her. And that's not science. That's opinion. And opinion doesn't have opinion has no place in science, but it's got to be backed up by fact. Okay, so I think that instead of having Megan Fox do this on her own, let Megan Fox organize this, pay for it, even write it, and and pair her with somebody who is an actual expert in the field. She could have had a different one in each in each episode. It wouldn't have been a permanent co-host, but pair her with somebody that could actually you know ask the right questions, um, be there with the the critical thinking. And honestly, maybe even present some you know people that have competing theories to what you're trying to prove. That gives it a little more credibility to me. You know, instead of talking to ten different people that follow right along the party line that you're trying to to tow here, bring in somebody that says, "Well, I don't think this is true, and here's why." And that'll end, lend more credibility to me because you can see the competing theories. But um, we were talking uh, on the CRM Archaeology podcast about who good co-host for her would have been. I think Sarah Parkak, who won the TEDx prize a few years ago, space archaeologist, they're calling her. Um, I think she would have been a great host because she's an awesome speaker. Um, I think Dr. Alexandra Jones of the uh, archaeology in the community over in Washington, D.C. would have been an awesome co-host. Um, she's also a great speaker. And both of these women are experts in their field and, and could have spoken uh, intelligently about any one of these sites. So... I mean, you don't have to know anything about Troy to speak intelligently about archaeology, right? I mean, you just you talk about the science behind it. You know, okay, how did you do this? What did you do here? Uh, and go from there. So um, if she'd done that, it would have added more credibility to it. But her celebrity and people tuning in to see Megan Fox would have drawn in a bigger crowd. Nobody's going to tune in to see me. They don't know who Chris Webster is. But if I was paired up with Harrison Ford we'd have 10 million viewers in the first episode because it's Harrison Ford. <laughs> so use them to bring in the audience and then present the audience with something that they can actually benefit from. That's what I think we should do. The other thing that I think was really wrong with this is she's trying to shake things up and and bring doubt to pretty solid science. So again, showing competing theories, showing uh, things that go against what she's trying to prove would have helped counteract that a little bit you want to you want to present your crackpot theories about giants that's great but show me a couple scientists that say you're nuts that'll give you more credibility in my eyes that's just how that works and i and i think you know finally one of the things that really irritates me about shows like this is and this must be based on some kind of data that these networks have but they seem to think that the only thing that they can get published and, and put up and, and actually do well on a TV show is stuff that that goes against the mainstream. You know, Ancient Aliens is a great example. Ancient Aliens is probably the number one show on the History Channel, which is shocking <laughs> because it has nothing to do with history. It should be on the Sci-Fi Channel. That's where Ancient Aliens should be. Then it would be an okay show. But the fact that it's on the History Channel makes it nuts, right? I'm okay with 
Legends of the Lost with Megan Fox being on the Travel Channel because maybe that'll get people to get out and go see these things for themselves. That's fine. You know, maybe they want to travel. Maybe they want to go see those things. I think that it's sad to me that the only shows that really get the high ratings that are related to history and archaeology are ones that cast doubt on modern science and, and the hard work of researchers. You know, these people aren't crazy. They're doing actual research. And sure, they might be wrong, but that's why they're doing their research because they're trying to prove something one way or the other, and they don't usually turn away evidence that disproves their theories. They might just have to change them a little bit. So I don't know. It's I wish we could figure out a formula to make a show successful because it has to be successful for the networks because they have to make money. Advertisers have to make money. Get over ourselves on that and understand that that has to be a thing. But then find a formula that presents information that we can all be proud of, that we can all listen to, and then also teach people and and hopefully you know get them to go i mean you're listening to this podcast right now what interests you about this podcast why can't this be a tv show i'm not saying i want to do a tv show i mean i would because i think it's a great way to get information out there but why can't a tv show be something like this it's got to be filled with special effects and filled with you know crazy doubt and dramatic music i mean why can't we just talk about stuff and have that be successful i don't know it's a weird world we live in anyway what uh, what all this comes down to is there's a massive amount of misrepresentation going on. People are being talked to. Their ideas are being presented in, in interesting and creative ways that's not necessarily true to what they think. And it's just – it's not the right way to, to view things and, and to do stuff. I mean, I watched the show, so I'm part of the problem. But I did it so I could review it, so I, I call that a win. <laughs> but it's just uh, – it's interesting to me, uh, and it saddens me that, that we have to have shows like this, and this is the only kind of thing that, that really gets popular. So I encourage you to write about this if you have a blog, um, comment, tell me what your you know, favorite or least favorite parts about the show were if you saw it. Um, I'd love to hear about other shows that you've seen that you think hit the mark or didn't hit the mark, because I'd like to review them and talk about them critically. I think we're going to start doing that on this show, um, and then... Uh, and then we just have the conversation. And that's what we're doing here at the Archaeology Podcast Network is really, really just having conversations that you guys can be a part of and trying to keep this information out in the open. So um, this show, just as one last final plug here, I've taken it on live on the radio. And if you're listening to this in real time, on January 4th, 2019, I am going to be going live again. I had to go go dark a little bit and put some retooled episodes of this podcast on the radio uh, the last few Fridays but uh, because I've been out of town. But I'm going live again January 4th, 2019 at 12 p.m. Pacific time on knvc.org. Um, that's a radio station in Carson City, Nevada, Carson City Community Media. And you can actually call in. We'll present the phone number during that time. And you can call in and we can talk about this stuff. Um, I think it's going to be a rock art episode next Friday, but um, you know we're going to bring in some people to talk about some of these TV shows and, and other topics. So uh, please check that out. You can go to, again, knvc.org. And I think it's forward slash listen dash live, but just look for the listen live link on the website and you'll find it. So, all right. Thanks a lot. Um, hope everybody had a... Uh, happy holiday, whatever holiday you support. And if you're listening to this in real time, happy new year for 2019. And again, I think we've got some great things coming for not only the APN, but, uh, but Team Black. So we'll see you guys all in the new year. And again, thanks for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network.
Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep learning. Keep discovering new things and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.